0: Hello. Welcome to the It's Not About Food podcast. Today we're going to be talking about service in the community and what that looks like, especially as you are recovering or have recovered from something. But of course, we talk about eating disorders and body hatred. So about 33 years ago, my business partner and I started Beyond Hunger. And then Fifteen years into it, so about over 15 years ago, we decided that since both of us on opposite states (laughs) had started our own eating disorders when we were in high school, well, junior high and high school, we wanted to get into the schools and talk about body hatred, disordered eating, and what that was all about. And so we started the peer education program, and it is still going today. We still go into the schools and we still talk about this issue. And uh, this year, if they are not in school, we're going to be doing Zoom presentations, which is pretty exciting. So we go into schools and we talk about a three-pronged philosophy of recovery and prevention. And that is, Learning to love and take care of and be compassionate to the body that you do have, that that's the only one you're going to get. And remembering, because we all have, we're babies once, so we all know how to do it. Uh, Remembering how to eat intuitively, eating when we're hungry, stopping when we're full, and eating what our bodies want and need. And then the third piece is how to have emotional wisdom so that we can take care of ourselves instead of in a way that really comes from the heart and the soul and in a solid way instead of trying to overeat or undereat or go on a diet or hate our bodies or start smoking or start doing drugs or, you know, whatever it is that we do to hide our feelings or to cover up our feelings. So if we know how to take care of ourselves emotionally, we don't turn to those other ways of taking care of ourselves that at the time seemed like a good idea, but really they're not the best way to take care of ourselves. So I have one of the peer educators here who just was such a a wonderful person in our program. She showed up all the time, even when other people didn't, she was there. She uh, gave a powerful message of her own recovery and her own sort of how it all started very innocently and then it just blew up and got away from her and then how she recovered through it and she would always be very honest and open in front of these peers, people that were a little bit younger than her, but not all the time. They could have been way younger than her or some people were maybe even her age. She was so brave, and I remember thinking about that with hers as she was very brave because sometimes it would just be me and her that were there to carry the whole hour and a half presentation, and she just took it right on and ran with it. So I'm going to introduce her. Her name is Alexis, and she is a shining star in the Peer Ed program. And so, Alexis, tell me a little bit about yourself and what you are doing Now,
1: yeah, hi. So I am 23. I live in Santa Rosa right now and I'm currently attending Sonoma State to get my bachelor's in psychology. I just got married, so that was exciting and yeah, living life well sheltered in place now. But (laughs)
0: exactly, so interesting that you're going for psychology. What made you turn to that schooling?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it had to do with my past with my eating disorder, my recovery, um, mental health struggles. It made me very interested in the way the human mind works. And yeah, that's really what captured my attention and drove me towards psychology as a major.
0: Yeah, and I always think that when you have recovered from something it's a great asset to your being, becoming a therapist or whatever it is that you're going to do with this, is that you can come from that place of, I understand what it's like to be where you are, and I worked myself out of it, and you can too. So let's try. So I really admire your tenacity of going to this program and going through this schooling. Alexis, tell me a little bit of how did you hear about Beyond Hunger Peer Education? And then how did you come to thinking that you wanted to be it and then joining our group?
1: Yeah, it was 2013. It was my senior year of high school. And our high school required what they called a senior project for graduation. So every senior had to choose an organization to volunteer for. Then you wrote a paper about what you learned about the topic and your community. So I started just Googling different things around me. And I knew I wanted to do something that was meaningful to me. I wanted to actually make a difference. And I found Beyond Hunger. And the peer education program sounded kind of perfect for what I was looking for. So I decided to join.
0: (laughs) I remember that was so great. And then there was something wonderful that also happened with that.
1: Oh, yeah. I actually won a scholarship. I got third place in my senior class for Beyond Hunger and my presentation and paper I wrote about. So that was really incredible, a really great opportunity.
0: Yeah. And didn't you get a scholarship and you got some money? and. Yeah, I got some money to um, attend college. And it was all really, really amazing,
1: really great opportunity.
0: So tell me, what was your experience of being in the peer ed at your age? You were still in high school and you were talking to junior high and high school students. And how was that for you?
1: You know, I was really nervous at first. I remember like the first day going in and there was this class full of students, these high school students staring at me. And I was 17 at the time, so I was only a couple years older than them. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, maybe I can't do this. It's just so much pressure. But you being there and the other peer educators, the other girls were so supportive and really helped me get through it. And I ended up loving it, as scary as it was.
0: (laughs) Well, you really jumped right into it. I have to tell you that, as I can remember when you came to the groups and to the classrooms and you just stepped right into that fear, that worry about it, and then just let yourself go. The other thing I want to say about you that I thought was so great was your your attention to detail. You would really, (laughs) I would tell the peers, you know, be sure and don't say anything that we can't back up, so don't just start to go off on some tangent. Stay on point, and you always really did that. You showed up to everything, even though you lived far away from where we were most of the time. And you would show up so good. Just tell me a little bit about your own recovery and what happened to you.
1: Yeah, when I was about 15 years old as a freshman in high school, I went on a diet. I had always been what people would consider a little overweight and... I always, ever since I can remember, I wanted to lose weight. I wanted to be thinner. And I went on, you know, it was just another diet to me. And I started losing weight and I started getting attention for it. People started noticing and it made me really happy to get that attention and for people to notice how hard I was working at it. And I just kept losing weight and it turned into something very unhealthy. It became an obsession. It became all I thought about. All I cared about was my body, the food, the exercise. And I was diagnosed with anorexia. And then throughout between 2011 and 2013, I was hospitalized five different times. Each time was about two weeks in length. Um, I went to UCSF Children's Hospital each time. I was under 18 at the time. And for a long time, I just thought that I would never get better. I thought that in and out of the hospital was my life. Eventually, I went to a treatment program. It was called Center for Discovery in Menlo Park. So I stayed there for about two months. I was away from my family, my friends, everything. And I kind of realized that I had a choice to either try at recovery to do my best or let this beat me. And so, yeah, I really jumped into recovery full force there. And then the peer education program was not only a way I loved it because I gave back to my community, but it was also very helpful with my recovery as well.
0: Yeah, because you know when we're in it, when we're in the eating disorder, it's very isolating a lot of the time. Yes, very
1: isolating.
0: Yeah, so a lot of times when people go through recovery, they're still sort of isolating in it, but joining a, a program like the peer ed program where you have to get up in front of the classroom and talk about this, you can't isolate. You're just throwing it right out there.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know, the other peer educators, everyone was so great, and there was other girls who had had similar experiences and... It was just this really safe group of supportive people. So that was also another huge benefit was going to the meetings, the peer ed meetings every month and just being able to openly talk because there were so many people my age who didn't understand what I was going through. So it was really a safe haven for me.
0: Yeah, I'm glad to hear that because, you know, that's one of the things that we really Wanted to bring forth with the peer ed program is that not only did we want to hopefully change the minds and hearts of girls and boys when we go into the school and give them some information of how they don't even have to have an eating disorder, they can not go there, and this is what the truth is about it. And here we are showing what we went through and where we are now, but also we wanted to make sure that the Young women who came into the peer ed program, that they were very supported, and it helped them along in their recovery because they're talking about it all the time. You have to study it and think about it and talk about it, and so, and we're all talking with each other. And it takes a village to get over something like that.
1: That's for sure. It's definitely recovery is not something you can do alone. Um, in my experience, support was one of the biggest factors, and getting me recovered and getting better.
0: And then since then, I don't think last year you were able to come to any of them because of your school schedule, but just the year before, I think you were still doing some classwork.
1: I think I did a few the year before, and then, yeah, I did get really busy with school, and I was doing a lot less, but it's definitely something that's still there for me, and I'm always... If I have the time, I'm always happy to come do a presentation and be back with Beyond Hunger. It's still a safe place.
0: Yeah. I'll be hitting you up for this because we're going to be doing it on Zoom, and I am not really sure how that's going to work. I'm sure it's going to work fine, but it is kind of a scary thing. You know, there's going to be classrooms of 40 kids.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That will be very different. How does that
0: work, you know? (laughs) Going to depend on the teacher to sort of manage that end, and we're going to show up with our stuff on this end. But anyway, so what has happened to you since you were in the peer ed program? So, where did your life go, and how have you kept supporting yourself through this and all the yeah. other things that happened?
1: Yeah, so I graduated high school, I did my senior project, I started at Santa Rosa Junior College, my local junior college. I was there for um, about four years. I kind of went in and out of different majors and deciding what I wanted to do, but I ended up getting my associate's degree. And then in the beginning of 2019, I transferred to Sonoma State. I have about a year left there until I get my bachelor's and then I'll be looking at jobs in the field. And yeah, and I've continued with my recovery. It's not as intense as it used to be, it's not therapy constantly like it used to be, but I still keep up with it and do reading, do research, go to therapy, stuff like that to, you know, I think it's a lifelong journey. It's not just one and done, so.
0: Well, that's an interesting kind of sidebar of how is it that it's a lifelong journey? So to me, I got, uh, in my recovery, I sort of got everything sort of like math. I got that I had to love the body that, that I had, even though that was probably one of the hardest because I did not like my body. So how did that idea sit with you?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's still an idea. It's a really tough one, and it's a very foreign idea in our culture. We live in such a thin-oriented culture. Um, it's always about losing weight, looking better, looking your best, and we don't really ever celebrate our bodies. So it is such a different idea to hear that. And that was probably as well one of the hardest things about recovery was accepting that this was my body. There was no changing it, no matter what, and it's what I had. It's what kept me alive and really looking at it as everything I put it through, it still is going and it's still healthy. And I think creating an appreciation for your body too is so important.
0: Yeah. And your body went through a bunch of changes while you were in the program too, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it definitely did. I've gained weight, lost weight, gained weight. And you know, there's still days I struggle with it. Sometimes I think, ugh, I want to look a different way or fit into a different pair of jeans and all those kind of thoughts, but it's not like it used to be. And I'm able to, even when I feel that way, there's a difference between letting it become my day and my world and just having the thought, thinking it and kind of letting it pass.
0: That's exactly right. I often say we don't get a lobotomy, we get recovery. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So we're still creatures of the society that we live in and we're still going to get all these messages and we're still going to think, you know, my knee-jerk reaction, well, I just had some oral surgery and had a couple of teeth way in the back taken out. My first thought was, ooh, I'll lose weight. How much do my teeth weigh? Not much. But I thought, I won't be able to eat, so I have a reason to lose weight or whatever and the next thought is, thank you for sharing, but it's not, it's not yeah. helpful. <laughs> I'm going to just take care of myself the way that I always do take care of myself, whether I have oral surgery or not. But it is so ingrained in me. If I eat an apple, I'm going to lose weight because I ate an apple. I mean, everything is about that because that was drummed into my head at such a young age. It's so great. You're doing exactly that, you know. You're you're working yourself out of these thoughts and feelings, and then the second part about it is the intuitive eating. How do you work with that these days?
1: Um, the intuitive eating is going really, really well for me. When I did suffer from my eating disorder, I was so structured in my food. It was I only ate the food I prepared and what I planned to eat, and it was never really what I wanted or what my body was craving to me, that didn't really matter. It was what was right for my eating disorder. And it's almost like learning to eat again is kind of a weird way to put it, but it's almost true. It's relearning your body. You know, There's a time in recovery where I had to set timers on my phone to remind myself to eat because I was that out of touch with my body. And so it's been quite the journey, but I'm able to intuitively eat, and after my recovery, I also went through a phase where I kind of would binge eat. I would have a hard time, once I would start eating, I'd have a really hard time stopping. I felt like, oh God, what if this is my last meal or something? And I would do a lot of, well, tomorrow I'll go on a diet, but tonight I'm going to eat everything in sight. And working through that, you know, it's been really hard, but I've really been coming to a point where... I do just kind of ask my body what it wants and I let it eat what it wants. And if I do eat a little more than I need, I don't hate myself for it. I let myself feel a little uncomfortably full and sit with it, but it's not as self hatred like it used to be.
0: And which of the three ones was the hardest for you? I know which one, well, they were all hard, but (laughs) you know, waiting until you were hungry. It sounds like stopping when you were full was kind of a hard one for you.
1: Yeah, I definitely struggled with that. I struggled with trying to feel my fullness. There was times where I felt like I couldn't eat anything. And there were times where I felt like no amount of food would ever be enough to
0: fill me. Right. And I can remember myself feeling like I have no idea when I'm hungry. I feel like I'm always hungry or never hungry. And then the same thing with fullness. I'm either always full or never full. And I got the concept of eating what my body wanted and not my head by remembering when I had a son and then watching kids, how they pick what they want. I mean, they don't care if there's a piece of cake on their plate. If they're done, they're done. Or if they don't like that cake, they don't care. They just don't eat it. It's not what their body is asking for right then.
1: Yeah, I think kids are probably the very best example of intuitive eaters. They haven't been put on a schedule. They haven't been told these things about eating and what they should eat or shouldn't eat. It's such a pureness.
0: Yes, exactly. And we somehow lose that at some point. And it's funny to be whatever age you are when you go through recovery to go, oh, I need to eat like a baby. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's true though, yeah. Yeah, and to this day, do you still practice that? And do you have to clunk it in every time, like think about it? Am I hungry? Am I full? What does my body want? Are you pretty good about knowing when and where? I still think
1: about it sometimes. And just the other night, you know, I was eating pizza for dinner. And I ended up having probably another slice and a half that really my body didn't need. And I realized after, huh, I really wasn't listening to my body. It just pizza sounded good and tasted good. And after I was really full. So there's times where I look back at it and think, oh, I probably should have uh, checked in with my body before. And I tend to have a harder time like if I haven't eaten in a while and I feel really, really hungry and then. I just eat because I'm so hungry and I didn't give myself time to let my body (laughs) process it all. So, you know, it's a back and forth thing, I think.
0: I think exactly that. I think that we're always learning. And also, I don't know if this has happened to you. You're not that much older than when you first started trying to recover. But I noticed for me is I don't eat the same way as I did when I was in my teen. I don't eat the same way. When I was in my 20s, I don't you know, as I got older, my appetite changed. My choosing which food was going to work for the body that I had at that moment <laughs> changed. And my fullness changed too. It seemed like for a long time, I just wasn't very hungry after a while. So I changed my whole way of eating, I started eating little small meals throughout the day because I couldn't keep eating the three meals and a couple of snacks. So when you were going through treatment, did they put you on a quote unquote food plan?
1: Yeah. So in the hospital and in treatment centers, I was on some pretty strict food plans. Food wasn't really my decision. What was put in front of me is what I ate and I ate it at the time they told me. So in a way, it's kind of the opposite of what you want from recovery. You want intuitive eating, right? And then they put you on this very structured meal plan. But at the time, it is what I needed. I didn't trust my body enough or myself enough to eat what I wanted. So it did kind of teach me more of a quote-unquote normal eating schedule, although it's not how I eat today. It's not structured like that. There's some days where I don't eat breakfast till 11, and there's some days where I eat it at 6.30. It's just all very dependent, so it's a much looser now.
0: Yeah, but it works for you. It does, yeah. Yeah, so we can trust ourselves. We can trust the amazing wisdom of the body. Just we trust it to tell us when we need to pee. (laughs) (laughs) That's true, yes. (laughs) We can trust it to tell us when we need to eat and when we need to stop. And I do really... Love the idea of, you know, at first, we have so many different messages about what to eat, when to eat, you know, and get it it gets all crazy, all smooshed up all these different diets, and which created a other eating disorder called orthorexia, which means more or less you're afraid to eat because you've just decided that nothing is okay to eat. Is this uh, locally sourced? Is this organic? Do you know the chicken that laid this egg? You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it's really, Yeah,
1: do you know it personally? <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. You know, no carbs, yes carbs, no meat, yes meat, no sugar, well, sugar's okay, no, you know, whatever. So then the young person or even the just the professional dieter gets very confused about what to eat and when to eat. So I like that you got that very good information of this is what normal people do. And then, okay, fly away, little bird, and you'll find out what normal is for you.
1: Yeah. I mean, everyone does have different normal. You know, everyone is different. Everyone's bodies are different. (laughs) That's one of the biggest things I learned. So it is, you know, it's trust, really. I think it comes down to is trusting yourself.
0: It so much is. And again, we're not taught to trust ourselves. We're taught to trust the diet and put our trust in somebody else telling us how to eat because we want to lose weight. Yeah. And left on our own devices, we'll just go crazy, willy-nilly, running down the street naked or something.
1: (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That's our culture, right? (laughs) That's our
0: culture. We have to believe what other people tell us. So... If there were a little girl and her name was Alexis and she's sitting in her room, all these things are going around in her head, what would you tell her? How would you support her knowing what you know now and where she's going to go? How would you sort of maybe head that off at the pass if you could go back to that little person 10 or 11 or however old it was right before you just fell right into the eating disorder?
1: Yeah, that's a... Really good question. I've thought about that quite a few times. If I could go back, right, what would I say to myself? I think it sounds kind of cheesy or been said before, but just that I am enough the way I am. And that no amount of weight, no amount of exercise, no amount of food, nothing's going to change who I am as a person. And to trust myself, to trust who I am, and to know that I am enough and I'm worth my health and happiness. Yeah.
0: So, Alexis, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you for sure wanted to say, do you think?
1: Um, I think we kind of hit everything that <laughs> I was thinking about, but yeah, it was really great to talk to you and thank you so much for the opportunity.
0: Oh, thank you. So happy. And again, I'll be hitting you up for this Zoom thing. (laughs) Yes, let me know.
1: All my classes are online this semester, so I'll be at my computer.
0: I know. We're all like that right now. So Mm -hmm. anyway, thank you so much for being on, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening. And be sure and follow me on Patreon, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and it's not about Thanks.